Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back this week to the Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki, here as I am every week with John Mitchell. We are in the grip of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, I'm now on my third full week of quarantine, or self-isolation, I guess. I'm not actually quarantined. Uh, but, you know, we're in the situation where we have a lot of social isolation. Um, no sports to speak of right now to, to dull our minds. So we're going to talk a bit about college football Unfortunately, a lot of the conversation right now about college football is dealing with what will actually happen with next season. So we're going to walk through some of these scenarios in our first segment, really just kind of break down what might different reduced college football season scenarios look like next year. Um, in our second segment, we'll look at the monetary impacts of a shortened or a canceled season. And then in our final segment, we're going to have a little fun. And we're going to, you know, if a season has to be canceled next year, what's the one thing a fan would want to have in their back pocket, John? That would be uh, a new NCAA football game, right? You're damn right it would be. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a look at how we might actually be able to make this happen uh, in the midst of, you know, name, image, and likeness rights. Uh, being given to college football players and how we might actually make this work for everybody so that we could, if we can't watch football next year, we could at least play some football. So before we dive into all of this, John, I know, you know, there are bigger things than football, obviously, right now. We love it. We hope it happens. But how are you doing right now? You know, I'm okay. Uh, you know, I joined the you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans now who have, you know, been temporarily laid off from their jobs and, and whatnot because of the coronavirus and because of, you know, the restrictions on people being able to go out and everything like that. But I'm holding up pretty okay. I mean, it's totally understandable. It's the only way to really get through this, um, to be able to do what we're doing. So I am as well in self-isolation. So, you know. Um, it's, it's tough because the one thing you want to do when you're sitting at home, at least for me, is flip on a game at some point during the day, watch sports Yeah. Um, at some point, and not being able to do that is pretty weird. I didn't know if you knew this, but there are 24 hours in a day. That's a lot of hours to try to fill with not any sports to, to occupy my life. It, it, it really is a lot, and as somebody who stays up way too much and always had fun in the wee hours of the morning finding sports elsewhere in the world, uh, you can't even do that right now. You can't even go nocturnal and find sports happening on the opposite side of the globe. I mean, Australian rules football is our last hope for that, and they've, you know, shut that down as well now, so... You know, it's a lot of replays. It's a lot of the Ocho. Uh, it's a lot of, you know, sort of backlog of footage that networks have had. So, it we get what we get. Um, but it's definitely 
you know, the exact worst time for everybody to be locked up at home because to be locked up at home means that you also don't have any sports going on. And, spe right. and speaking of sports not going on, John, you know, the big, big question on every sports fan's mind, and we've been hearing it more and more from pundits across the country, from fans on social media, you know, what might a college football season actually look like next year? Um, you know, we talked about it last week. We set odds from... I think you said 45% that you think it's, you know, business as usual next season. I set it at 37% at that time. And I honestly probably dropped those odds down even further now. Um, but, you know, the season as it stands right now with nothing changed on the table is scheduled to begin on August 29th. How realistic do you think that is as a start date? It's probably not realistic in one in one way or another. I, you know, I'm trying to be optimistic, but I think I share your pessimism in that my percentage would be lower this week than it was last week, and you know, last week was lower than it was the week before, and that's what's kind of disheartening about all of this. Is it feels like every week that we progress, it feels less and less likely that we're going to have you know business as usual for the college football season. So, you know, even some prominent analysts like Kirk Herbstreit recently came out and said that he would be shocked if there even is a college football season next, next year. And, you know, I don't think I'm that pessimistic about it. I think in some form or fashion, we will have a season. I just don't know exactly what that'll look like. You know, there's been proposals or at least discussions preliminarily about maybe moving the seasons up even into the summer, which I don't really know how you make that work entirely with it being, you know, June, July, August and whatnot, trying to play football in those months seems a bit foolish in my opinion. But, I, you know, like we talked about this weeks ago, Zach, something that you brought up was the, the concern over, you know, even when the coronavirus gets seemingly under control, maybe later in the summer this year, the, the chances of it coming back you know, November, December range or something like that is, is really high. And that's the concern that we get to the point of we're in the middle or near, nearing the end of the college football regular season, and it gets halted. And it gets halted for a while, just like all these other, maybe even outright canceled. So I don't know. Um, what's your, I guess, initial thoughts on how you see everything happening? You know, I pulled out the calendar when we first decided to discuss this a bit more today and go into it a bit more in-depth. And, you know, you mentioned this idea of pushing up the season. And if you start at the end of July or the beginning of August, you could have a full 12-game season that went through the end of October. You know, you're pushing right up against that beginning. If you look at the patterns in 1918, it was that middle to end of October, you started to see it swirl upward again in terms of, you know, incidences of, of people coming into contact with it and contracting symptoms. And so, you know, we talk about that sort of summer period as that sort of trough and the incubation period, but, you know, 
the more likely possibility is that you see the season move up a little bit. I, I think you also sort of have to balance player health. You know, August is hot. You live in the South. You know that August is hot. You know, even those first few games of the season, August, beginning of September, they can be really miserable depending on the weather, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's... I can't imagine trying to play a college football game in July or even the beginning of August. Like, I've, I've been to many Alabama games um, over the years where you're sitting there in the first half of an afternoon game and the sun is just beating down on everybody to the point that you see people leave. Yeah. Leave the game early, even if it's, you know, a, a conference game. I've seen tons of people file out early just because they can't stay in the heat. So, Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. In terms of, you know, you've got to worry about player safety there. Uh, so even moving it up a couple of weeks into mid-August starts to become a stretch. You know, you think, and you think if they do that, you're still probably only, you're, you've got to start thinking your best case scenario is probably a reduced game schedule right now. No bowl games. If you're going to have college football, you're doing it for the sake of, you know, playing the games that you're going to play. Maybe cut out non-conference games and just have regional schedules um, so that people have some kind of football and something to to come back to. Um, But the other question, you know, if you have an eight-game schedule, you know, you're going to the end of October, basically. And, and again, you're pushing right up against that, that the real risk of it beginning to proliferate again. Um, if you have a six-game schedule that puts you at mid-October, obviously if you push the season up a couple of weeks, those timetables push forward. Um, but at the same time, are you going to have fans in the stands? That's the other question about this, because what a reduced college football season looks like next year could be, it could even be 12 games, but it could be 12 games in front of empty stadiums, which, you know, some of it, here in State College, it's a 107,000 seat stadium, I think, you know, you've got all of these monoliths around the country, and they're real home field advantage for the team that gets to enjoy it. But you take you know, all the crowd out of the stands and the ambiance of that and just, you know, the total atmosphere of college football that that is part of that fan experience and interaction with what's going on on the field. And what does that do to the product overall? What does that do to players' motivations even, you know? If you're playing in front of a, a silence. So I think that's going to be really interesting as well is you know we consider all these ideas of moving the season up and down but we've already you know we already saw it with some sports before it went to a complete just shutdown of leagues um i again guy who watches sports at weird hours of the day i was watching a biathlon world cup competition from i think slovenia and they were in you know the winner skis in in front of empty grandstands and they just have flags lined up in the grandstands instead from all the countries that are competing in this event. That's weird. 
you know, like, to win an event and not get to celebrate it, to be on a podium and, you know, pop a champagne cork and celebrate to a camera. It, it's a weird experience, and especially for a college athlete, that's an especially weird experience. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's an impossible question to answer, however, reactive because we've never had it. I guess the we would need to have a former or current Miami football player on the podcast right now to let us know what it's like to play in front of zero fans. I, you know, otherwise, I, I don't really know how to answer it. Um, it would certainly be weird. I mean, you, you think about some of the the biggest moments your college football team specifically has ever experienced, and part of those moments is going to be the reaction to the crowd, whether it's a road game and you've just stunned 100,000 fans who are just sitting there in complete silence because they can't believe what they just saw, or, you know, your home crowd going crazy because of a spectacular play. And, you know, if we're not going to have fans on the stands, then maybe these games need to be, especially if they're moved up, Maybe we need to look into moving the games into, you know, more neutral locations, find smaller stadiums. Because, I mean, without fans, who cares how big the, how many seats there are to fill anyway. Find maybe dome stadiums that could host, like, four games in one day, for instance, like we often see on the high school ranks. If you get to the, you know, whatever they call it in other states, now it's a Super 7 where you might have three or four state championship games in one day played at Bryant-Denny or at Jordan-Hare Stadium. You could have things like that. Maybe you meet in Atlanta, for instance, where some of the Southern teams are playing there. So I, I think that could be an option, particularly if you're not having to worry about fan attendance and revenue that schools generate from ticket sales and that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, we certainly all still watch, that's for sure. And then if there are going to be fans and you have to play those games at home, then maybe you change TV times and schedule more late kickoffs, you know, where the sun's gone down 6, 7 o'clock at night. You know, maybe that damages some of the time slots, but you can probably still play some of the games up north, for instance, in the afternoon. I know it still gets hot up there, but maybe not quite as debilitatingly hot as it does in the south during the early August months and whatnot. Conversely, you can play some West Coast games earlier and fill sure. those slots and use that early morning coolness on that side of the country. I think you could just have an inverse and, you know, SEC after dark now instead. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally down to get weird. It, it, we've already become weird, and it's only going to keep getting weirder, everybody. You mentioned some of the monetary issues. I'm going to hold off on that until the next segment uh, to respond to all of that. I think let's take a quick break, John. And when we come back, everybody, we're going to talk about the monetary impact that we might see out of a shortened or possibly canceled college football season. Stay tuned. Welcome back from our break, everybody, to the Saturday Blitz podcast. We are hunkered down in the midst of coronavirus pandemic 2020, uh, wondering what might happen with college football next season. In our previous segment, we went into some of these scenarios that have been talked about in terms of moving the, the calendar around, you know, reducing the schedules, you know, all of the, the different doomsday scenarios that are on the table. 
John brought up something interesting in terms of, you know, some of these issues with lost revenue. And, um, you know, that's the biggest scare, I think, for a lot of people that have skin in the game. You know, obviously, except for this, you know, the athletes themselves who, you know, have their scholarship on the table. You know, it's obviously coaches, it's athletic departments, it's TV networks that are sweating this out more than anything. Um, and I think that's really the interesting thing about this. Who do you think gets hurt most? As as always in these kind of situations, um, obviously this one's different, but when you're talking about monetary loss, the smaller schools are going to feel the impact a lot more than the bigger schools are because the bigger schools have... It, it's it, You know, it's just like in real life, right? Because right now, the poorer section of the country is experiencing the impacts of the COVID-19 restrictions more than the richer parts of the country because, you know, obviously rich people have more money. It works the same in college football. The bigger conferences have more money. They have more sitting around in reserve. They have more that they can afford to lose. A lot of times these smaller schools, and I know, Zach, this is really up your neck of the woods, these smaller schools have really tight budgets where they are operating right at the line of profit and loss and sometimes even in the negative. And, you know, losing even one or two games could negatively impact not just the football programs, but every other athletic program, because a lot of times the football program is what pays for many other athletic athletics to actually get the field of teams. So one of the things that I was thinking about was what happens if, you know, we see it mandated that there are no fans allowed in any of these games. If some of these smaller schools just decide that it's not worth it for them financially, if they can't afford it, maybe they don't fill the team in 2020. Maybe they self-impose a one-year death penalty, for instance, and take the year off and reconvene in 2021. I know when you were talking about a few weeks ago with the 1918 Spanish flu, I believe it was, that's exactly what happened. You had several teams that just either didn't fill the team or, uh, you know, took the year off and whatnot. So, I, you know, obviously it's we're 100 years in the future now, so times have obviously changed. But I, I think it's really fascinating. I, I think it would take one domino falling for one program to make that decision for you to see a lot more following suit. You know, and we saw that. I think that domino effect is exactly what we saw, for instance, with the 2020 Summer Olympics, when the IOC was doing their damnedest to hedge their bets about possibly being able to hold hold the Olympics this summer. And it, it really took the Canadian Olympic Committee's, you know, first it was USA Track and Field that came out and, and basically said, we're not telling our, our athletes to train right now. We're telling them to focus first and foremost on our health. You need to get your shit together, basically. And, you know, it, it took that first domino of somebody speaking up. And then it took the Canadian Olympic Committee saying, if you hold it, we're not sending anybody. Like, you can hold the Olympics without us. That's fine. We have bigger things to worry about right now. And then you saw other dominoes start to fall as well. And as soon as that happens, the IOC has no choice. It's the exact same thing here, you know. Um, obviously, Canada's not the biggest, you know, 
country in the world, so it's not like you need a United States to lead the way on that. You obviously hope your biggest teams are leading the way, but they're not necessarily going to. But, you know, say for instance, you know, a secondary Big Ten school like Wisconsin says they're not going to, you know, put, field a team this year. They're just going to worry about their health. Or, you know, in Iowa, it, it's not like the biggest domino that could possibly fall, but it's got enough weight in terms of being a power... You need a power five school to do it, I think. Um, but that's really what's going to make those start to topple. And that does have a huge monetary impact, obviously. These conferences, these schools rake in anywhere from 30 to 50 plus million dollars a year in terms of the power five. And then you think about what that, you know... Obviously, ESPN, Fox Sports, all of these networks are feeling the crunch of, of what it's like not having live content right now for their sports slots. But you know, you know Zach, these, these TV networks, I think, are just getting the experience. You know, they're getting paid an experience, just like the athletes have always been paid an experience. It, it really is. And that's... That's exactly what's happening right now. You know, the question becomes, you know, the monetary impact really becomes what are the lawyers going to be sorting out with this? Because, you know, ESPN alone spends more than $1.1 billion annually between their college football playoff, you know, rights deal, their conference TV rights deals, both their outright ones and the ones that they share with other networks. Um, so, you know, you figure that impact alone, that's a huge swath of programming that ESPN loses across as many as four days a week, five days a week during the, you know, in the heart of the season, once you start having, you know, Tuesday night, you know, Maction and Wednesday night Sunbelt games and Thursday night Mountain West and you know, Friday night kicks off Pac-12 after dark, and you've got, you know, leading into Saturday, you've got five days that they've got to fill time slots with across multiple networks if if, if things go down next season. And it's the same thing with, you know, obviously NBC has less to it because, you know, their big deal is with Notre Dame, and it's always just been with home games. So it's less of a hit for them in terms of college football, but SEC on CBS, that's huge, you know, you know, Big Noon Saturday doesn't happen on Fox anymore, um, you know, and, and all of the subsequent deals that they have with the Pac-12 and other conferences, it's got this, you know, this ripple effect that can, you know, it hurts everybody from, you know, the guy working the camera and the sound at these stadiums. You know, driving the truck, working in production, all of these individuals. Um, you know, it's the guy holding the cord on the sidelines for coaches that won't go wireless. It's, it's you know, it, it's your training staff that isn't it isn't with the players. It's obviously coaches. You know, you think about what does this do? Do you just push their year? forward on their deal they're still dealing with recruiting you're still dealing with all of these other facets of the job so you're still somewhat working but what does that do to the deal because you haven't played another season so 
um, you know, those are going to be things that go into, to, you know, questions that, that become many billable hours for many lawyers around the country. And, you know, I think the monetary impact is that that's who's ultimately going to win in this are attorneys trying to sort it all out. As always, right? Those are always the winners in these kind of situations. I, You know, the time for contingency plans to be made is right now, though, right? Because you don't want to be caught with your pants down and when, it, when we get closer to the season everyone panics like oh my god this isn't going to happen what do we do so i think you're going to start hearing more and more about these types of contingency plans and what will happen what a season might look like and then you know eventually you might have some teams that decide to scrap it altogether and just move forward to 2021 and then I, what i would hope would happen if there are teams who do that would be that, you know, do those players get freed from their scholarships, for instance? Like, would they be free to, to transfer to another institution to play? Would that even be allowed with everything that's happening? Or do they just have to sit and wait for a year? Um, I don't know. I, I think it would be interesting if it happened for a Power 5 program, like you said, even a Wisconsin or an Iowa or something like that, to to make that decision, my guess would be that you'd see it start at the lower levels first. So your NAIA schools, your FCS schools, Division Two, II, Division Three, all that, those will be the schools to me that are impacted negatively the most in this. And they have, you know, they stand to lose the most to me because, you know, your Alabamas, your Michigans, your Ohio States, those programs are going to be fine even if we skip an entire season. But there's some long-term ramifications for a lot of smaller schools if they're not able to get the revenue that football provides. Oh, undoubtedly. You know, like, and I think you're right that you could easily see some schools shudder it, you know, because in terms of operating expenses, even a school like Appalachian State spends $1.6 million. This is, these are 2018 statistics from the Department of Education right now, everybody. It's the most recent numbers that they've put out. Um, but, you know, Appalachian State on their football team spent $1.64 million in operating expenses. A team like Arkansas State spent $2.47 million. Ball State is at 1.43 million. Um, you know, Boise State is at 2 million, 2.01 million dollars in operating expenses. Even a small school, um, you know, that's not chump change. And if you're not getting any TV revenue at that point, and you're not getting any paychecks from your paycheck games. It, you've got a real hard time making up these deficits. And so you know, eliminating those operating expenses by just not playing the season is probably going to be your best deal for a lot of these group of five schools. Um, but at the same time, we've talked about it before, where the best deal for a lot of these group of five schools would be to drop their asses down to the FCS in the first place, because that would minimize their operating expenses further and put them in better range to, you know be solvent and and play within their range that's neither here nor there i'm not going to harp on that right now now's not the time for that but an entire season being closed down is a very real possibility if it doesn't happen across the board it could very well happen 
for as much as half of the FBS, I could say. Yeah, and you mentioned paycheck games, and that's the thing. When you start looking at potentially canceling games, those are going to be the first ones that are canceled. Yeah. The the games where you have the big Power 5 program playing a lesser group of five teams for the, you know, paying them $500,000 to a million dollars to come to their campus and get the crap kicked out of them. We scoff at those games, but those games are what pay the entire athletic budget for a lot of these programs. You know, they get all this money, and that really helps. It really, like I said, it goes beyond football and even into other sports. So if those are the games that get canceled, that's a huge loss for those schools, and that could be enough. Even if we were still talking about having fans and seats, TV dollars, and having a season, but having those games canceled that these schools rely on could be the death blow for them for the entire season. Oh, undoubtedly. And so I think you're right, you know, contingency plans need to be put into place now that could even mitigate the blow for some of these smaller schools. You know, I think even if entire revenue streams are killed, there are ways to rebound and put new avenues into into place. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next segment, because it's time to talk about NCAA football from EA Sports and how we can make that glorious game return. So stay safe out there. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back. Welcome back for our final segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bagalke here with John Mitchell. We are safely ensconced in our residences, as I hope all of you are. Unless, of course, you're essential personnel, and then I hope that you are taking every absolute precaution that you can and staying as safe as possible as you listen. Let's dive into our final topic, though, because it's time to have some fun while we're locked down. And how much more fun could we be having right now if, you know, we had NCAA football to be playing on our Xboxes and Playstations at home? Oh my god, like, that would make, I think I would be perfectly okay with the quarantining and self-isolation if I had uh, an NCAA game I could throw in my PlayStation or Xbox right now and play. I would probably forget that I was even having to stay at home because that's all I'd want to be doing anyway. Exactly. So, you know, I think there's a real market opportunity here, and I'm not one necessarily to want people to profiteer on, you know, a pandemic. Obviously, I I have some strong issues about that. But I think this is something that could be, you know, as Michael Scott used to say on The Office, a win-win-win where everybody comes out ahead. And so let's break down how we could possibly have NCAA football next fall if we don't have NCAA football next fall. So... Here's what I'm thinking, John. Obviously, there's 130 FBS teams. I think for this first release, you've got to probably limit it to that just in terms of logistics, you know. Um, both on in terms of programmers getting everything into the system in time, etc. Et and the fact that they're probably working from home like everybody else. But, you know, I'm thinking about this a couple of ways. So... EA Sports pays the NFL and the NFL Players Association $50 million per year to split 
between them for exclusive rights to player likenesses, player names, team names, team logos, etc. to make Madden. Obviously, you know, a huge game. It, it you know, it, it's one of the biggest selling games in the world. And, you know, I, I think in terms of college football, especially this year, if you don't have a season, um, you'd have a lot of people dialing in to buy NCAA football if it returns. So, I was thinking about this a bit. So, when they last released the game in 2013, EA Sports officially said that they brought about 80 million in revenue per year for this game which in current dollars is about 88 million you figure they could easily probably bring in a hundred million dollars if not more especially because you know I think the thing that happens with any sports game that that comes out on an annual basis is you get some fatigue from buyers where they'll buy every other year or every third year or whatnot um, you know, because sometimes things don't change that much. You know, if the roster of your favorite team doesn't have too many people leave in free agency, you don't switch it up. Um, or if you do want to switch it up, you just go deal with it in the franchise mode, whatever. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's probably a big thing that sort of dampens sales there. I think easily EA Sports could probably do 100 to $125 million if they release that game tomorrow. Yeah, I, you know, just from the standpoint that it's been so long, like, you're talking about in 2013 what the game cost per Per game, what fifty bucks probably if I remember right, it's probably forty nine ninety nine. Yeah. At that time, you could charge ninety nine ninety nine right now for instead of like I wouldn't even blink while I ordered a copy of it. So that's how you make more in revenue right there. You could charge more for the game, and I think there'd be a, still the same amount of people who would rush to buy it. Yeah, exactly. However much you make, you know, but I put it sort of conservatively around 125 million as I was thinking about this, you know, if you charge, you know, 50 bucks a game, what does that put you at? 125 million divided by 50 is 2.5 million copies. They're easily going to sell that many copies. You know, I think that's probably ridiculous. You would even easily be in the quarter million figure. But, you know, putting that in perspective, um, you know, you think about that $50 million payout for exclusive rights, and I don't think that's unreasonable to give to 130 schools, and, you know, what in 2018 were... 15,134 total roster players across the FBS. You know, you think about it now, with 130 schools, that equates to around uh, 117 players. So let's round it up to 117. So it'd be 15 to 10. You know, so you figure you've got 15,200 players to pay out to. With $50 million, you could do any kind of split here, you know, 
anywhere from 65-35 to the schools to 65-35 to the players' favor. And, you know, schools could get, on average, anywhere between $135,000 and $250,000. And players could get individually anywhere from, you know, just about $1,150,000. $1,150 per player to $2,150 per player. So, you know, these are things that could have real advantages to everybody across the board. And, yeah. and you know, you put it in that perspective, and the thing that's interesting, I'm not sure if, you know, you might be familiar with this, John, you might not be, listeners out there, you very well might not be either. It was something when I first started researching this for a Sunday morning quarterback column I'm working on this week. You know, I hadn't really known this before, but when EA Sports was previously producing the game, they had a four-tier system for the payouts that they actually gave to individual schools. And it was, you know, it was based on their position in the top 25 or over a rolling 10-year basis. And a couple of other different factors that they never really released the exact formula. So it's hard to say how they judged what was a tier three versus a tier four school, for instance. But basically, you know, the way they had these payouts lined up was, you know, anywhere from they had minimums for for tier one where you had to pay at least a minimum of $78,000 per year to one of those teams. So those were your, you know, and you had teams like a Wisconsin, for instance, was one team whose information was released where they made like $110,000 for that year. So, you know, on average, basically the payout for tier one was about 191% of the total average payout for teams. And then you go down, you know, tier two was 47,000 a year minimum, tier three is 31,000 a year minimum, tier four is 7,500 a year minimum. So a school like Akron or Toledo or Kent State or Utah State or Wyoming is probably only getting like 7,500 a year to have all their, their images and stadium and, you know, their uniforms all digitized into this game, which is quite interesting. You know, only 18% of this total average payout. But even if you use those ratios, you know, which are really quite skewed and you could probably narrow those gaps a bit more. But even if you use those ratios, given the most conservative numbers, a tier four team would still make uh, about two and a half times as much as they did under the previous contract, or actually more like three and a half times as much as they did under the previous contract with this sort of setup that I'm starting to talk about here right now. So, and like we talked about, you know, we talked about it in the last segment, schools, you know, these group of five schools that might need to absolutely just completely shutter their program for a year, even if you have to do that, you know, the benefit that comes from paycheck games and everything else is that they help fund other programs in the school. So, 
even if they have to close their football program for a year, that means that their winter sports and their spring sports programs aren't going to get completely screwed over by this deficit as well. And I think that's really critical. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I really appreciate you doing the research on that. I'll be fascinated to read the entire column as well on Sunday. So, um I mean, it feels like you said a, a win-win-win situation all around. It, it I, I wish that everyone would start working on this and get on it because I could really use a, a bright spot in life right now and being able to, you know, fill all those 24 hours I was talking about in the day by spending probably a third of those playing NCAA football right now if I had it would be a good use of my time, I think. I, I agree. If I could be doing my damnedest in my off, so for me, luckily, you know, I'm in a situation where I'm one of the lucky individuals who can't, who is able to work from home right now. It's been really weird, I must say, um, for all of you out there who are listening and are involved with, you know, campus life in one way or another, you completely understand how weird it is right now to be teaching everything remotely. So I'm a graduate student. I'm also a te- you know, a, a, on a teaching fellowship. And so I, I'm seeing it from both the teaching side and the learning side. It's weird from both sides, you know, like complete grace that you have to have with everybody because so many people are not used to what's going on right now, you know, um, teaching, Going to an emergency remote learning situation is completely different than online education. You know, these are not people who have the pedagogy to do this. But at least we have, you know, at least I'm able to work. At least I'm still able to take classes. You do what you can in situations like these. Um, But, you know... that said, it's also weird on campuses in that regard as well. So, but anyway, you know, we're we're talking about all of this, and yeah, I you know, people need something to sort of soften that blow when they're not dealing with work as well. You know, so even when I get done with stuff at school, that you know, with my coursework and my grading and all of the other goodies that happen with working remotely, I would be more than happy to be wasting my time trying to get Wyoming to a national championship. It's probably not going to happen even on the NCAA football video game, but damned if I can't try, you know? And, uh, I mean, it's basically what I'm doing in my off hours with FIFA right now. So if I had it with NCAA football, I, my wife would probably never see me anymore. And, you know, the fact that we're both, you know, working from home, notwithstanding, but she'd probably be happy to send me off to go play for a couple of hours for a while. And that's great. You know, like, that's what people need is these sorts of diversions. And if you had that one more diversion on the table, especially if football gets truncated next season or completely excised from the schedule how great would it be to at least be able to watch your favorite stars play out a season virtually? Yeah. And just all the fun advancements that would be 
on the game now versus, you know, seven years ago when we had the game last. You know, the changes in recruiting players, the the added college football playoff obviously being the big thing as well. So, yeah, I, I think this should get done, and uh, I think our opinion is the only one that matters on this subject. So, um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, this should be something for all of you to hit on Twitter, you know, like hashtag NCAA football game now. So, and this is something that's just universally wanted to like, this would be as popular of a move that's happened in collegiate athletics in the last decades or more, like just because everyone would be thrilled to have it back. You know, who'd even be happy to have this back? The players who would, who would both be getting a bit of a check for their likenesses being out into the world and then getting to play the video game because just like everybody else they're itching for football as well and i think that's the the beautiful thing to keep in mind here is this helps everybody and there's really no downside here the the mechanisms are are in place now that the ncaa has sort of unpuckered themselves around the idea of name image and likeness payments and there's a way for everyone to benefit. And so, do it. Just, just please, make this happen. You know, I, I will even, you know, you talk about the advancements. I imagine even, like, the video of, like, the pregame lead-in and everything. You know, how they, they sweep into the stadium. They have the announcers talking. I won't skip over any of that. Because I want to just, like, soak it all in. Absolutely. Well, on that note, everybody, you know, please, this needs to be something we need to put in motion Because there is a way to make this happen for everybody to come out happy, including all of us. (laughs) And so, you know, most importantly, though... You know, stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside. If you do not have to go out to work right now, please don't. You know, as much as, you know, we want to believe that this is something that can just impact the elderly or this is something that can just impact people with compromised immune systems or whatever, it's not the case. Anybody can be impacted by this, and everybody has the potential to get very sick from this. And why take a chance? Because if there is college football next year, you're going to feel like a dumbass if you're the one who ends up dead from this. So, on that note, we'll talk to you next Wednesday. I'm glad to have you out there listening. Please stay healthy and come back again next week.